You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1928th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 11th of May 2023. The editor for this edition is Sheila Franklin. The producers are Colin Holmes and Peter Rayson and your readers are Nick and Jill Gain. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Tories miss out on control by seven seats our suspended mayor loses. Revised ambulance depot plans approved. Pillar of town community, loved by all, dies aged 76. Suffolk schoolboy, page of honour at King's coronation. The West Suffolk Council local elections have ended in, in a no-majority council with the Conservatives missing out on control by seven seats. The results were as follows. Conservatives, 26. Labour 12, Independence 10, West Suffolk Independence 9, Liberal Democrat 1 and Green Party 1. Voter turnout was at 30.44%, which was significantly lower than Ipswich's turnaround of 35%. The Liberal Democrats took Exning from West Suffolk Independence for their only West Suffolk District Council seat. <coughs> Suspended Bury St Edmunds Mayor Peter Thompson lost his Morton Hall Town Council seat and his District Council seat to Labour candidates Peter John Armitage and Rowena Lindbergh. Mr Thompson was announced as running for the Conservatives despite having been suspended by his party pending an investigation following an incident in Bury St Edmunds in early March. The incident involved head doorman of the Jim Sports Bar, Matthew Tate, 31, a Royal Anglian veteran who was medically discharged due to injuries he received during his second tour of Afghanistan. Mr Thompson agreed to pay £100 in victim compensation as well as accepting a police caution and being banned from the gym sports bar. Other big names to lose their seats included Colin Noble in Lakenheath Ward who has sat on West Suffolk Council since 2011 and Chair of Suffolk County Council Robert Everett. In the first tie across the whole of Suffolk, an equality of votes in Haverhill South meant that lots were drawn and an additional vote was given to Labour candidates David Malcolm Smith and Liz Smith. This meant independent candidates Jason Crooks missed out on a seat by just one vote. Elsewhere in the county... Mid-Suffolk has become the first district council in the UK to have a Green Party majority. A multi-million pound depot to store and repair ambulances and provide office space for clinical staff has been given the go-ahead. The two-storey building will be situated in Suffolk Park, north of the A14, on a field that used to be part of Ruffham Airfield. The plans accepted by West Suffolk Council last Wednesday are very similar to those St Edmundsbury Borough Council approved in 2019, but permission lapsed. MP Joe Churchill, who represents Bury St Edmunds, supported the development. She said during consultation, providing for improved access to the A14 
and improving response times for service users, both rurally and within the town, is of paramount importance for residents of Suffolk, particularly within our growing community. Backing was also given by Ruffin Parish Council and West Suffolk Council Ward Member for nearby Morton Hall, Councillor Bagitta Marga. The work carried out in the depot will include maintaining and repairing ambulances and replenishing their medical provisions. The development will also include offices and training rooms for clinical staff and parking space. In November, the East of England Ambulance Service, NHS Trust, said the hub, due to open by summer 2024, would cost between £7 to £10 million and be the first of a number of new stations to provide modern facilities. Earlier this year, the Berry Free Press received a letter from whistleblowing paramedics who were worried the hub could place them at risk of burnout due to fears all outlying stations would shut in West Suffolk and cause major delays in reaching rural areas. In response, the ambulance service said rural parts of the area would have specifically designated and strategic place response posts which would be covered from the main hub to improve response times. West Suffolk Council's economic development team said Bury St Edmunds had experienced significant growth since the development of the ambulance service facility in Brooklands Close. Providing first-class healthcare services and highly skilled specialist employment in Bury St Edmunds is important, not only for the health of the local community, but to support the continued growth of the whole of West Suffolk, they said. A popular former head teacher and pillar of the Bury St Edmunds community, has died. Brian Cash, who worked at Westgate Community Primary School in the town for 28 years and was involved in many areas of town life, died aged 76 last Wednesday. He supported the technical side of Bury Youth Theatre, helped Suffolk Young People's Theatre with their lighting, was heavily involved with Bury and Bloom, ran children's discos and set up a residence association. Brian's wife of 53 years, Yvonne, said he touched so many people's lives through his teaching and his work with the performing arts. He was all about helping other people and was extremely good-natured and even-natured. Even he was a thoroughly nice chap and a pillar of the community. During his time at Westgate, Brian took a secondment to develop teacher recruitment programme, which ran for many years after he returned to his school. With a hobby in stage lighting, he rented equipment to schools putting on their own productions. Brian even appeared on national TV. Good morning, with Anne and Nick with a group of children who showcased their singing and sign language. The head teacher also trained to be an additional Ofsted inspector. In 2002, he was diagnosed with frontotemporal dementia and retired from the school. His wife Yvonne said, For a very short amount of time he didn't know what to do with himself. He set about filling his life anew, with things he did all the time. A lot of them were to help other people. He did physical things. He took on croquet and discovered he was incredibly good at it. In 2015 he won the St Emmersby Sports Award for, tri for Triumph Over Adversity. He also... He was also nominated for the BBC Radio Suffolk Neighbour from Heaven Award after he set up the Cathedral Meadows Residents Association and was named Citizen of the Week in the Citizen newspaper.
The grandson of a Suffolk Lord was a page of honour for King Charles III alongside Prince George. Ralph Tolomash, aged 12, was one of four pages of honour attending to the King at his coronation. He is the grandson of Lord Timothy John Edward Tolmash, the fifth Baron Tolmash. The King and Queen each had four pages of honour supporting them on the day of the coronation. This is a group of schoolboys, often aged between 12 and 15, who are family friends or close relatives. The King's other pages of honour were his own grandson, Prince George, aged nine, Nicholas Barclay, 13, the grandson of one of the Queen's companions, and Lord Olivia Chumley, also 13, the son of David, the Marquis of Chumley. Ralph Tolomash left for London in the days leading up to the coronation, accompanied by his parents, Edward and Sophia Tolmash. The Tolmash family currently reside at Helmingham Hall in Stowmarket and have long enjoyed close friendships with the royals. The late Queen and Prince Philip were friends of Lord and Lady Tolmash for decades and stayed with them at Helmingham Hall for 27 consecutive years. After the death of Elizabeth, Lord Tolmash paid tribute to her legacy at the County Service of Commemoration and Thanksgiving held at St Edmundsbury Cathedral. He recalled an amusing moment when during one of the Queen's visits a chimney caught fire and was being dealt with by a team of firemen. The Queen was in the Great Hall at the stately home when to everyone's astonishment two firemen covered in soot suddenly emerged from the fireplace. Lord Tolmash said, To this day I do not know who was the more surprised, Her Majesty suddenly being confronted by two firemen emerging from the chimney, or indeed the two firemen emerging to be confronted by their sovereign. We are now moving on to our general news section. A police investigation has been launched into a large number of allegations of fraud involving an accountancy business. The police probe into Stowmarket-based Apostle Accounting follows complaints from former clients who use the company to apply for HM Revenue and Customs HMRC tax refunds. They were later told by HMRC to repay the money as the applications were incorrect. Suffolk Police said it was liaison with HMRC and other agencies into the matter. A group of six MPs from across Suffolk and Norfolk, including Barry Snedman's MP Joe Churchill and Central South and North Ipswich MP Dan Poulter, have also written to HMRC calling for an investigation. Mrs Churchill said, Further to my communication to HMRC in March and April 1st, I have repeated my demand they meet with me and other MPs who are representing constituents with concerns about the service provided by Apostle Counting and the wider duty of care provided by HMRC. Apostle Accounting was founded in 2012 and is based at Marriott's Walk. It is run by Martin and Zoe Goodchild. A statement from Front Row Legal on behalf of Apostle Accounting states, Apostle has no reason to believe that rebate claims were submitted when a client was not entitled to such expenses claimed. Former clients have received standardised letters from HMRC seeking repayment and such correspondence mirrors standardised letters from HMRC to claims, sorry, to clients of other practices nationally in respect of expense rebate claims. 
Apostle in no way accepts the allegations against it or liability for payment to HMRC may be seeking from former clients. Apostle will be submitting a thorough submission to HMRC explaining why it believes there has been an incorrect application by HMRC officers of its own rules or guidance or a misinterpretation. For the avoidance of doubt, it contests allegations, if any, of non-compliance issues and or fraudulent tax claims. Apostle is disappointed and deplores the comments by some MPs and former clients, which includes inaccurate statements about it. HMRC declined to comment on individual cases. Suffolk pub chain and brewing giant Green King has seen profits soar, but expects tough trading conditions to continue. The Bury St Edmunds-based group delivered a strong operational and financial performance in 2022, according to its latest results. Group revenue increased by 62.2% to $2,176 million, with growth across all five divisions of the company. Operating profit was £192.6 million against £18.6 million in the previous period when Covid restrictions were in place for much of the year. The business invested £242.3 million in its brands, new pub and dining formats and in acquisitions during the period and had taken proactive steps to help reduce costs through successful energy hedging and focusing on efficiencies. Green King expects the tough operating environment to continue, but says it had planned for this, expecting 2023 to be another year of investment. The group has seen a recovery in sales, including in London, with trade returning to pre-pandemic levels by spring, though the cost of living crisis meant that customer confidence remained depressed throughout the year. The Platinum Jubilee weekend, Women's Football Euros and Men's Football World Cup had driven event-led demand. Nick McKenzie, Chief Executive Officer, said, Green King delivered a strong performance during 2022, despite the challenging macroeconomic backdrop with progress made in all our businesses. This was only made possible by our hard-working and committed team members and tenants, who I would like to thank. Looking ahead, we expect the tough backdrop to continue and we have planned for this. We now have a stronger platform to deliver sustainable growth against a strategy that is working and with a strong balance sheet. By focusing on the things we can control and supporting our team members and customers, we will continue to do what Green King does so well, playing a meaningful role in supporting the communities we serve and leading the way in making our industry a better place to work. The Berry Free Press Community Awards are back, celebrating community spirit and showcasing the people who are driving our area in the right direction. In association with Berry St Edmunds Town Council, we are looking for groups or individuals you feel should be recognised. For those who do not know what the awards are all about, here is what you need to know. The awards, sponsored by TREAT, are an opportunity for you as residents in Bray St Edmunds and beyond to vote for who you think has con contributed to improving the town in some way over the past year. There are now 10 categories for the awards. Citizen of the Year, Young Citizen of the Year, 
Best Event by a Community Group, Good Deed, Everybody Needs Good Neighbours, Eco-Friendly, Best Community Group and Lifetime Achievement, as well as two new ones, Community Food Hero and Charity of the Year. Very Free Press editor Barry Peters said the awards were a great way to recognise those that have gone above and beyond to help their neighbours and the wider area. He added, Those that make a real difference sometimes don't get the credit they deserve for the help they give the community. These awards give recognition to those who are the heartbeats of where they live and highlight the amazing things they do. Last year's award ceremony in the town's historic Guildhall on September the 8th were cut short due to the death of Her Majesty the Queen, but our community heroes were given their accolades at a smaller affair at the venue on November 15th. Matt Hancock received £10,000 for a television appearance in which he said he did not primarily go on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here for the money. The former Health Secretary declared the fee from ITV for an interview on Good Morning Britain, GMB, in the latest register of members' financial interests. He received the payment via Shine Talent Management Limited for two hours of work, according to the entry. Mr Hancock was criticised by constituents and then Conservative colleagues for entering the Australian jungle for I'm a Celebrity. He donated £10,000 of his £320,000 fee to charity, telling ITV during his January the 31st interview, I didn't primarily go on the reality show for the money. I primarily did it to try to show who I am. I think £10,000 is actually a decent sum. Mr Hancock was also confronted by GMB presenter Kate Garraway on how families who were affected by his coronavirus policies felt about his decision to compete on I'm a Celebrity. Garraway's family was among those heavily impacted by COVID-19 as her husband, Derek Draper, a former political advisor, fell seriously ill with coronavirus in March 2020 and has suffered long-lasting damage to his organs and requires daily care. West Suffolk MP Mr Hancock lost the Tory whip over the appearance on the reality TV show and he currently sits as an independent in the Commons. He was forced to resign as Health Secretary after leaked CCTV footage showed him breaching his own COVID-19 guidance by kissing his assistant, Gina Colodangelo. The famous Red Arrows were spotted soaring through Suffolk skies en route to London for the King's coronation. The iconic Red Jets were caught flying over the county on Saturday afternoon. The RAF aerobatics display team flew over Ipswich, Berries and Edmunds, Sudbury, Southwold, Stowmarket and more. The King and Queen appeared on the Buckingham Palace balcony to watch a scaled-down military fly-past. The RAF's Red Arrows display team trailed red, white and blue smoke as their hawk jets flew over the crowds gathered on the Mall and outside the palace. More than 60 aircraft from the Royal Navy, British Army and Royal Air Force had been due to take part in the fly-pass, but unsuitable weather conditions meant that plan had to be abandoned. The fly-pass was set to begin in the North Sea at 1.15 and there were hopes it would be visible along the Norfolk coast 
over Suffolk and Essex before arriving in London. In the scale back spectacle, helicopters from the three service services and the red, ar- red arrows took part in the display, which lasted for around two and a half minutes. The King and Queen smiled and waved to the crowds as the aircraft flew overhead. The RAF acknowledged it was disappointing that the poor weather prevented all of our aircraft participating in the flypast. In a social media post, the RAF said, The safety of spectators and our pilots and crew always comes first, and the conditions weren't right for the other planned aircraft to join the flypast today. We are hoping for clear blue skies in June for the King's birthday flypast. Footage from Royal Navy helicopters showed how poor the weather was in the skies above London. Rain streaked the windshields of the aircraft as they flew low over the heart of the capital. The flypast involved 16 Juno, Wildcat and Merlin, Apache, Chinook and Puma helicopters and nine Red Arrowhawks. As the, coron- as the country looked forward to the coronation weekend, two volunteers from Bury St Edmunds met the King at Buckingham Palace on Wednesday the 3rd of May. Libby Ranzetta and Sam Reed of Berry Rickshaw travelled to London after the organisation received the Queen's Award for Voluntary Services. The Queen's Award is the highest award a voluntary group can receive in the UK and is the equivalent of an MBE. Libby said on Tuesday, Sam and I are honoured to be going to the palace on behalf of all our wonderful rickshaw volunteers, past and present. We never imagined when we set it up that the project would touch so many lives. The Queen's Award for Voluntary Service is very special and we thank everybody who has played a part in making Berry Rickshaw part of the community. Berry Rickshaw started five years ago. With the help of more than 50 volunteers, it now offers free rides six days a week. Queen Camilla's coronation dress was woven in a Suffolk town ahead of the historic event. Her Royal Highness's couture coronation dress is cut from peau de soie, a silk fabric with a dull lustre finish and woven by Stephen Walters in Sudbury. The dress features a nod to her romance with the King as it features motifs of daisy chains, forget-me-nots, celandine and scarlet pimpernel from fields and hedgerows which represents their shared love for nature and the nation's countryside. This is not the first time Stephen Walters has played a part in royal events. Silk, woven by the firm, was used in the Princess Royal and Princess Diana's wedding dresses, as well as the Queen's coronation robes and coach in 1952, and the Archbishop of Canterbury's robes, which he wore for the wedding of the Duke and Duchess of Wales. One of the King's horses narrowly missed out on making it a double celebration following the coronation on Saturday. Partnered by Frankie Dottori, the John and Thady Gosden trained saga were sent off an eight-to-one shot for the Howden Suffolk Stakes at Newmarket. He travelled well throughout the contest, but Dottori briefly struggled to find a clear passage when the race began in earnest and while saga made up significant ground in the closing stages of the nine-furlong affair, King of Conquest had already flown. Saga was beaten ahead at the line, with the four-year-old going down by the same distance when bidding to give the late Queen a final Royal Ascot win in the Britannia Stakes last term. De Tory said, almost. He ran a super race 
I couldn't go when I wanted to, and William Buick got a couple of lengths on me, but he ran a super race. Oh yes, it was a thrill to wear these colours. I watched the whole coronation this morning. It was pretty special, wasn't it? I know I'm old, but I've not seen one before. A truly inspirational 14-year-old has been praised after he took it upon himself to start weeding Stowmarket's pavements. Dominic Shortland, 14, has autism and learning difficulties and first started tidying the road he lives on last year. He decided he wanted to start weeding quite out of the blue, said his dad, Philip Shortland, 65. We bought him some gloves to help and it really took off from there. Having taken a break over the winter period when the weeds stopped growing, Dominic is now back out on the streets in full force. It started with our road, and now he t- takes walks around Stowmarket and clears up anything he sees, added Mr Shortland. We're absolutely overwhelmed with the reaction he's received. Recognising his efforts, a neighbour posted a picture of Dominic's good deeds on a Stowmarket Facebook group which has since racked up nearly 2,000 likes. It can be quite tough for a child with disabilities, so it's nice to see people appreciating him, said Mr Shortland. We've lived in Stowmarket for 15 years, and his mum, Juliet, and Riverwalk School have put in so much effort to look after him. Amongst over 200 Facebook comments, one said the 14-year-old is a truly inspirational young man with many others saying we could all take a heart leaf out of his book. Part of the treat for Dominic is collecting the garden waste to fill his brown bin. His dad says that neighbours bring around their cuttings for him and he enjoys sorting them and, and waiting for the bin men to take it away on Monday morning. Having received a garden trowel for Christmas, Dominic will be continuing to make sure Stowmarket is looking at its best. It's great to see the community coming together to thank him, added Mr Shortland. Thank you all. A Thetford hotel has been told it has won an accolade at this year's London and South East Prestige Awards for a second time in a row. The Thomas Paine Hotel, which opened its museum celebrating the town's most famous son last week, has been informed by organisers that it has scooped the Boutique Hotel of the Year Norfolk Award. Owner of the White Hart Street Hotel, Jez Chattel, said, To win this award for a second time in two years is an awesome accomplishment for the team. We are so happy that we have so many people continuing to nominate us, and after ten years at the hotel, it feels as if it was worth it with the business we have generated, not just for us, but the whole town. Jez and his family will be celebrating a decade at the hotel on July the 7th. Staff from a leading Newmarket Vets practice are training hard for a mammoth charity trek. Five team members from Leader Vets are taking part in the Norfolk Coast Mighty Hike Half Marathon on Sunday, May 21st, from Cromer to Blakely in aid of Macmillan Cancer Support. Those taking part are lead inpatient nurse Kerry Care, veterinary nurses Claire Woodstock and Lynette Simpkins, student veterinary nurse Imogen Balam and client care assistant Lola Bai. The team chose to raise money for Macmillan as one of them recently lost a close family member to cancer 
and all of those taking part have been affected in some way by cancer. Macmillan does a wonderful job of supporting people living with cancer and we would like to do what we can to support their important work, said Kerry. The views on the North Norfolk coast are spectacular, but we'll be focusing on getting to the finish time, finishing line and raising as much money as we can. West Suffolk Hospital's stroke care team are taking a 13,000-foot skydive plummet while their ratings soar for a continual five years. West Suffolk Hospital's stroke team achieved the highest score of any acute admitting stroke unit in late 2022, maintaining their A rating for nearly five years in a row. Lead stroke consultant Dr Abdul Azim praised the team's wonderful culture which provides the best possible care for their patients. He added, We are all proud of this achievement and are working hard for our patients to keep making improvements. West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust Chief Executive Dr Ewan Cameron said the maintained rating is a truly astonishing achievement, adding, To reach the standard to receive an A rating and then to retain it for nearly five years is absolutely amazing and a testament to the hard work and dedication of every single member of the stroke care team. In celebration of their high-flying ratings, a group of doctors, nurses and security staff from the stroke care team will be partaking in a charity skydive. They hope their 13,000-foot plummet will help purchase equipment to help stroke patients. Letters. It's a mixed bag of letters this week. Our first letter is from Bernard Whiting of Kelsale and is titled Too Much Infighting by Those in Power. How great this country could be if all politicians, councillors and officials who are paid to do a job actually did the job they are paid to do instead of the endless witch hunt against members of the opposition and anyone who has a different opinion to that held by themselves. I voted to leave the EU as I was under the impression that there were people in government capable of running and progressing our country's own affairs. But so far all I have seen is infighting and confrontation from those who are supposed to be working together for the good of the country. Even the royal family are at it, aided by the media, with no end of the continual nonsense published. We have just been asked to vote in local elections. I decided I wouldn't be doing that. Sixty-plus years ago, on joining the military, I swore allegiance to Queen Elizabeth, her heirs and successors. I decided I wouldn't be doing that again either. Ian Smith of Bury St Edmunds writes about his concern over arrests of protesters. Now that the coronation of Charles has been carried out, we can rightly refer to him as King Charles III. However, the anti-monarchist organisation Republic had intended to peacefully protest on the day by holding up numerous placards reading, Not Our King. The group was prevented from doing so as these were confiscated by the Met Police and the leader or CEO of the group was arrested along with many others under new police powers. It was reported that Graham Smith was only released after 16 hours in a jail cell. The question is, is this tolerable in a democratic free society? Or are we slowly but gradually coming more and more like China or Russia? I agree with the comment by Alistair Carmichael MP that This is concerning. Whatever your view on the monarchy, 
the right to peaceful protest is essential to our country. Taxpayer will pick up bill for the coronation, writes Michael Michalak. The dear old taxpayer will soon be coughing up £100 million for the coronation of an unelected head of state whose personal wealth is estimated at over £1.82 billion at a time of soaring poverty and inequality. This orgy of obsequiousness and flag-waving civility towards this accident of birth for a Republican pales into little, little more than a medieval farce. To, to die-hard royalists, I say, have a nice day, and I hope the sun shines on your new monarch. Will I be throwing eggs? I doubt it. Far too expensive. Far more prudent to simply boo and hiss. On a more humorous note, Clifford Davy of Stowmarket writes that he is aiming high for monarch. Gardening, I can keep my feet on the ground. But recently, I have had to rise above. It is that time of year, spring cleaning. So with stool or stepladder, it's been reaching up to those things, out of reach areas, to get things extra tidy. With some things now complete, I thought I was safely grounded once more. But along comes the coronation. So up again to put the flags and bunting in place, putting life and limb in jeopardy. For king and country, eh? Memorable day on car run, writes Graham Day of Stowmarket. April 23rd is celebrated as the birth date of the bard, William Shakespeare. But it is also memorable for other reasons, including the 1,000-mile trial in 1900. This was a drive organised by the Automobile Club of Great Britain and Ireland to introduce the population of the UK to the motor car and to test the then-current crop of cars for reliability. Starting and finishing in London, it also visited different cities in the Midlands and north of England. Fast forward to the current year, and the Federation of British Historic Vehicle Clubs organised an annual drive it, an annual drive it day to commemorate this event and also raise money for charity. It was therefore a pleasure to take part in the event organised by the East Anglian Practical Classics. Starting in Stowmarket, we travelled up the 100th Bomb Group Museum at the World War II airfield at Thorpe Abbotts near Dickelberg, where we visited the museum and climbed the steps to the top of the control tower for a superb view. Then it was on cross-country to Southwold and a visit to the well-appointed cafe by the boating lake near to the pier. By this stage, the optimistic early morning sunshine had given way to rain. Nevertheless, it was a well-organised and enjoyable day which raised money this year for Childline. Apart from the weather, it was only marred by the government-organised emergency signal, direct to around a third of our smartphones only. More work required in that direction. And another letter from Graham Day from Stowmarket. Nick Risby will be missed. The disgraceful and disgusting cull of local radio presenters moves on apace with Nick Risby at Radio Suffolk, the latest casualty. Whenever I meet anyone in an older age group, they are often incandescent with anger at the draconian actions of the BBC. When will the idiotic and incompetent BBC management at both national and local station level understand that younger people do not consume radio output 
even in its modern listening incarnations. I'm listening to Nick when writing this. He is playing Another Brick in the Wall by Pink Floyd. Actions now are another brick in the demolition of the listening wall of local and national radio. People are now migrating in droves to other non-BBC networks and will never return. Nick has graced the late night, early morning airwaves of local radio with a mix of requests, audience participation items and quizzes. A fine balance for late night listening which always engages the listener and is particularly relevant and helpful to many older listeners, a high proportion of whom may well be listening alone. Thank you, Nick, for your outstanding contribution to Late Night Radio. It has been entertaining and excellent. I, like many, will really miss you when you finally hang up your microphone at the Beeb. I wish you well for the future, whatever you decide to do. Late evenings will never be the same. Eventually, perhaps, those responsible in London will realise their mistake. But it will be too late, as no doubt the government will ensure our national broadcaster will be sold off to the highest bidder. Then the cold wind of redundancy will arrive, and it will serve them right. Rich pickings for former PM Truss, writes Jim Mitchell. Some readers might recall that, that it was a former Prime Minister, Harold Macmillan, who coined the phrase that rankled with the British people in 1957, you've never had it so good. Now, 60 years on, this Truss, 41 days in office as Prime Minister, has just reportedly received £16,000 an hour for just one speech in India, which will inevitably raise the hackles of many of our own lowly paid constituents. The South West Norfolk Conservative MP netted over twice the average annual UK salary for attending a conference on the subcontinent for a mere four hours, including accommodation valued at £1,800 for mistrust and a staff member, plus flights and expenses. One month later, she was reported to have been re rewarded again by almost £6,500 for addressing Tokyo University. This was provided by London speaking agency Chartwell, which she joined as Britain's shortest-serving premier. Her seven-week reign as Prime Minister collapsed in chaos in October 2022, when the Trust mini-budget trashed the country's finances, causing the pound to nosedive, while UK bank interest rates soared alarmingly, fueling the current cost-of-living crisis, which, in turn, led to a big rise in house mortgage interest rates for hundreds of thousands of vulnerable homeowners. Miss Truss's earnings were revealed in the House of Commons Register of Members' Interest, so apparently no cost-of-living crisis for certain Conservative Members of Parliament. This next letter is from Barry Peters, editor of the Berry Free Press. It's time to say a very well done to our local heroes. Today, we launch our community wards in association with the Bury St Edmunds Town Council. It's an excellent example of a council working with a local business to shine a welcome light on some of the community's unsung heroes and recognise acts which would otherwise go unnoticed. Yes, there are awards for the Citizens of the Year and the young iteration of this one. But the essence of the awards is to pick up on those people who might live in your street who help others, who put out bins for the whole neighbourhood 
or have created a wildflower meadow to encourage wildlife. You name it, there's an award to say a hearty thank you for what these real community champions do for us all. We have seen litter pickers, old and new, going round streets and backyards to make areas cleaner and safer. There have been groups helping the elderly. Awards have gone to youngsters who have raised cash for charity. So give it some thought, please. If you know someone who helps your community and who deserves a pat on the back, nominate them for a 2023 award and say thank you. Mandy Corbett writes, A lot, a lot menteers should pay for a new fence. I notice in the Newmarket Journal, John Bone and Bob Smith are stirring up trouble with the Muntjack deer again. I think if the savings are so wonderful of having an allotment and so many families are reaping the benefits of the amazing produce which is produced, it would be in their favour to provide adequate fencing. They could all chip in to fence and permanently solve the problem. And in the process, nothing has to be killed. Nobody is potentially injured and no other animals involved who could potentially be hurt. There is no need to hurt the cute, cuddly Bambi darlings. They are a delight to look at, unlike allotment plots. Andy Ward from Martlesham writes, Mudflats and Pollution. After reading Dr Coffey and the Environment Agency's comments in the East Anglian Daily Times on May the 2nd regarding pollution at Martlesham Creek, I'm left wondering how the pollution will not only be coming from humans, but from agriculture and wildlife, especially wild birds that feed on the mudflats, stands with those promoting Martlesham Wilds, whose aim, amongst others, is to encourage more waders and wildfowl. Surely they should be directing their comments towards Anglia Water, who are failing to provide the services that we are paying over the odds for. After all, Birds have been feeding on the mudflats for thousands of years with no fear of pollution. Gordon Halewood is Vice Chairman of Trustees, The Bridge for Heroes. And he writes, thank you for your donations. The Bridge for Heroes would like to thank everyone who donated to the charity on April 18th in Brayson Edmonds. The total raise was a wonderful £1,167. There were £35 expenses for the day. This money will go towards the provision of holistic support to serving members and veterans of all our armed forces and their families, delivered by the Bridge for Heroes from our centre in Kings Lynn. We complete our letters section with two short offerings, the first of which is from Sarah Green of Berry St Edmunds, who says, Well done for road repairs. The Council and Suffolk Highways have listened to the concerns of many regarding the very dangerous state of the roads and pavements in Lower and High Baxter Street, Bury St Edmunds. I am grateful for the recent improvement works, which has been done very well and efficiently. And finally, Bridget Bird of Bramford says, I heard the first cuckoo of the year today, May the 1st, on Bramford Watermellows. Last year it was May the 14th, so two weeks earlier this time. In our first feature article, Christine Weber explores why vitamin D could be the missing boost your body needs. The other day, when I was out walking, the sun was shining and I was delighted to feel a new warmth in the air. My excitement was short-lived, though, because it rained later and then the temperature took a dive again, 
but it was a tonic for a while. And that's what sunshine is, isn't it? A reliable tonic which is guaranteed to brighten our mood and help us feel livelier and healthier. This is the stage of year when I think most of us are grateful for better weather and as the wind drops there is more daylight and we can discard some of our heavier clothing. It's also much fresher and more fragrant than later in the summer where nowadays we're often subjected to uncomfortable high temperatures which are no fun at all. So I always think of spring and early summer as the best period in which to focus on being outside and getting as much vitamin D, the sunshine vitamin, as possible. I became interested in vitamin D about 10 years ago when I was chaired a conference on the topic of the King's Fund in London. I was amazed when specialist after specialist reported how they believed a lack of the vitamin was at least partially responsible for the illness of their patients. Among their number were paediatricians, respiratory physicians and consultants in multiple sclerosis, breast cancer, diabetes. It was a renovation to me that so many conditions appear to be exacerbated by insufficient levels of vitamin D, not just the well-known ones such as osteoporosis and rickets. But... Quite apart from what such a deficiency might lead in the terms of terminal or chronic illness, it's now commonly believed by scientists that low levels of vitamin D are also responsible for more general symptoms, which, though not life-threatening, prevent us from feeling fully well. These include low mood, a tendency to become ill frequently with colds and other viruses, muscle weakness, bone pain, poor sleep and tiredness. Now, there is often a disagreement about how much vitamin D we all need and whether or not we should take supplements in the winter and what the dose should be. I'm not going to get into that today because it's so complex, but I am no expert on the answers. But I thought it would be a good moment to focus on the fact that sunlight is nature's way of providing us with enough D and how most of us will feel better if we boost our intake whenever we can. Of course, GPs and dermatologists are often concerned that we may get too much sun and end up by damaging the skin, which is not only unsightly, but dangerous. However, there are ways of absorbing enough of the sun's rays and boosting vitamin D safely and sensibly under small doses. Many experts believe that if we expose part of our body to the sun for just 15 to 20 minutes a day from April to October, we will achieve healthy levels of vitamin D. However, to be safe, if you're very fair-skinned, I would definitely recommend you do what I do, which is to wear a hat and put sunblock on your cheeks, chin and nose. These areas are very vulnerable. People with darker skin tend to need more exposure to sun if they are to build up vitamin D, so probably don't need to adopt such measures. If you do cover your face and head, then you can still expose more robust parts of the body, such as your arms and legs. This should increase your levels. It's important for us all to take on board that when we speed the majority of our time indoors, sorry, when we spend the majority of our time indoors, such as in the winter months, we are likely to suffer losses in vitamin D. Various major organisations have recognised this in recent years. One of those is the Royal Ballet, who became increasingly concerned that dancers might be likely to suffer more injuries than necessary 
because they spend all day every day in indoor studios and never see the sun. So they embarked on a project in collaboration with the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital to improve the health of the company. And as a result, they monitor their dancers on a regular basis to check they have sufficient vitamin D. And they encourage them to sit out on the terrace daily, in good weather, for up to 20 minutes. This strategy has been carefully thought out and researched. And if it's beneficial for those wonderful artists... I think it's safe to assume it will help us too. Is there anything else we can do? Well, certain foods increase vitamin D in the body, and they include mushrooms, oily fish, and the egg yolks. You can also look out for foodstuffs which are fortified with vitamin D, such as some cereals. Vitamin D is often described as a feel-good vitamin, so it makes sense for us all to take responsibility for getting enough. In his latest trawl through the archives, Martin Taylor writes of the former laundry situated on Hardwick Industrial Estate. After the flax factory at Hardwick finished in 1923-4, a hand laundry was started here by Mrs Hugh Nunn. As Marjorie Kelsey, she had a laundry at 55 Guildhall Street, employing mainly village girls. The former factory was then acquired by an unmarried entrepreneur, Arthur Major, his relative George Forbes would marry Avis Killingly, the manageress of Arthur's Chichester Laundry. Together they went on to run the Berry St Edmunds Hand Laundry with the major family in a backseat capacity. Part of the site was commandeered during World War II when Hutments and Nissen Huts were erected to house soldiers guarding POWs at Camp 260 on Hardwick Heath. Post-war, 95 people mainly women, worked in the laundry. The hand laundry eventually passed into the ownership of George's daughter, Sheila Forbes, and Jim Bain, who she met at university, the couple eventually marrying. Further progress led to the opening of dry cleaning shops under the name of Hardwick Cleaners, but as time went by, the sale of more modern domestic washing machines and dryers meant the end of the laundry. In tandem with the laundry, Various small businesses began using the ex-army buildings, mainly at the far end of the site. As starter units with flexible leases and affordable rents, they were ideal, and gradually more modern units were built. Businesses such as C.D. Friend and Sons, motor engineers, had their beginnings here on Hardwick Industrial Estate, as did another car mechanic, Mike Moody. In digging his inspection pit, he uncovered something very unwelcome belts of machine gun bullet buried by the troops. Mike was one of the last traders on the site when it closed. Hardwick Gate housing estate built on the Brownfield site is still awaiting completion, while Guildhall Properties, a former owner of the laundry site, went on to build Forbes Business Centre off Kempson Way. In this feature, Clarissa Place, the news editor of the Ipswich Star, shares her experience of cheering for the new King Charles III in London on Coronation Day. The alarm rings, it's 3.45am. The excitement kicks in. My mum and I get ready and head out to a quiet street and head to the tube. It's 4.30am when we get aboard the underground and already conversations are starting between groups of people as numbers grow in the carriage. There were two ways of working out if someone was heading to the coronation. A. 
they were decked out in red, white and blue, or B, they were armed with walking boots and a camping chair. I fell into category A. Why did I go? I think the main part is history. This is the first coronation in my lifetime and I've never had the chance to attend a royal event. A special part of being a journalist is that throughout your career you are fortunate to witness moments that will go down in history. This was something nice to do with my family and witness firsthand. We aimed for the the mall for 6am. Arriving around 5.30 to a small throng of people arriving to find a spot. You have to applaud those that made the decision to camp out. It's not something I could do. Throughout the day, we spoke to people who hailed from Australia and Kansas City, as well as Seattle and Luton. There is a joy in sharing your experiences and culture. Every one of those people had a reason they wanted to be there, and it was nice to share in the experience. If someone managed to get a nice picture, numbers were shared and pictures were exchanged. It made the nine hours go reasonably quickly. And while the emergency ponchos worked overtime, our spirits weren't dampened. The procession, huddling around the one phone which could get Wi-Fi to show service, and then the arrival back to the palace each brought a flurry of excitement through the crowd. Then, when the barriers opened to let the crowds walk up for the king's walk onto the balcony and fly past, you were swallowed up in the sea of celebration. Camille Berriman pays tribute to Brian Cash in this article titled Memories of Camcom de Legend Brian. I was sorry to read about the death of former Westgate Primary School head teacher Brian Cash. I met Brian back in the 1990s when I was a member of Suffolk Young People's Theatre. Brian was part of the dream team behind the company's successful summer productions alongside Ray and Daphne Dyer, both now sadly departed and many, many others behind the scenes. Come the Wednesday of show week, Brian would appear outside the Theatre Royal with his camcorder, ready to capture the antics backstage before recording the show itself. Cast members were able to order a copy of the resulting video for £9.99. These were delivered before the final Saturday show and inevitably played that night at the home of whoever hosted the after-show party. In the days before social media and camera phones, seeing ourselves on screen was such a thrill. After talking to Brian for a Berry Free Press story some years later, he kindly transferred my well-worn VHS show videos onto DVD in return for a donation to one of his chosen charities, and they have become possessions I treasure to this day. I saw less of Brian in recent years as his dementia progressed, but have never forgotten the legend behind the camcorder. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Emmonsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Sheila, Colin, Peter, Nick and Jill, it's goodbye. Goodbye.
You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.